Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. Welcome to the Never Just a Dog podcast. I'm your host, John Littlefair, and I'm joined in the studio by a very, very passionate dog lover, Talia Carter. How are you? I'm good, thanks, John. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Now, thank you for the little trade-off. I bought us coffees for you to come in and have this chat, and you brought your doggo, Remy. Yes, so I thought a fair trade, I think. I think it's a fair trade. So how long do I get to keep her for or do you have to take it home later? Do you know how many people say that to me? <laughs> well, I'm more, surely more important than them. <laughs> of course. Or maybe you can babysit her when I'm away. Oh, definitely put me up for that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So so you've completed a double degree in psychology and addiction studies and also you're working on another thesis to do part of your PhD. I think you're better to explain this than me, Talia. Yeah, so um, a couple of your, yeah, a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to, a passion project. So I decided to embark on a PhD, which is, as some people would say, a bit of a crazy thing to do as a passion project. But I, you know, I guess the reason I did it is because I was really passionate about the subject and the topic that I'm exploring. So I'm looking at pet custody really. So how companion animals feature in the context of a relationship breakdown and, you know, with a particular focus on loss as a result of that. So, you know, when when couples separate, how do they divide custody, if you like, of shared companion animals? Oh, well, that's a, I'd never thought about that as a PhD or further studies or whatever, but since you mentioned it to me, it just makes complete sense because it's another type of uh, another type of loss with with um, with dogs and when relationship breakdowns happen. So, is how long have you been interested in psychology for, and and what did you get into it for in the first place? So I really just fell into it. I finished year twelve and didn't really know what I was doing, and then ended up at TAFE doing youth work just because everyone used to speak to me about their problems. So it just seemed like a sort of natural progression. I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then, yeah, went into first-year psychology and, you know, seven years later graduated with master's and then did my endorsement and then a few years later went back and started a PhD. Oh, wow. So when um, when will you complete the PhD? Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> okay, well, okay. It's, it's, it's a big it's a big job but um because I'm working full-time running a business it's only I'm doing it part-time but trying to get it done on a full-time sort of time frame uh so we'll just see how we go so another couple of years at least yeah that's okay oh I'm glad you brought the weather up let's change the subject <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's an interesting um interesting area when people lose their dogs Mm-hmm. And there's certain um, levels of grief that people feel. I've definitely had my own journey a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But let me know all about your thoughts on like cultural stigma, disenfranchised grief, all of the topics that are circulating around. Let us uh, into your world, Talia. Yeah, okay. So I guess when people lose a companion animal, particularly through death, it can be, you know, it can be really 
challenging for them. You know, as you know, people can form really strong attachments and strong bonds to their to their pets, in particular dogs and cats, but that includes other animals. But for the purpose of this, we can speak about dogs. Um, you know, and then, you know, you form these relationships and after, you know, unfortunately we outlive our dogs and as a result of that we have to experience their death. But, at the, you know, having said that, many people don't necessarily really understand the implications of how that grief manifests. So, you know, often, um, well, early kind of research sort of compared animal loss or dog loss to that of losing a, you know, a possession or an occupation, which didn't really give it the sort of um, the weight and significance that it deserved. So, you know, I guess more contemporary stuff has has really highlighted that the loss of a of a companion animal is comparable to the loss of a human. And I guess I just should point out that I use the term companion animal because over pet because um, pet ownership isn't really synonymous with bonding. Uh, so it's just you know companion animals really represents that mutual relationship that has you know emotional and psychological ties so I'll probably use the terms interchangeably um but yeah does that answer your question um I, I, yeah look absolutely it, it's such a deep it's such a deep area and it's been an interesting even journey for myself um it's been three years since I lost Monty and a few years before that I lost George and like I was saying that you know, when we caught up before, it was I. My ears became unblocked. I started to hear things um, that were associated with, in particular, dog loss. Mm-hmm. And people started saying to me because I'm very open with conversing with anyone on the, on the subject. Is mm-hmm. that you know I'm really feeling bad. I lost my dog, but I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm crazy to be feeling this way and and what I, what I'm finding and this is going to be interesting to chat to you about is that people are starting to really internalize some sayings that they hear out there is, would you agree with that do you experience that and even thinking broadly within grief yeah sure so you know i guess what you what you mentioned at the start in terms of that disenfranchised grief so you know disenfranchised grief really comes from when people do experience, you know, bereavement after the loss of a pet, but then that, you know, that grief is really not recognised by the people around them. So it's not recognised by the people around them and then they internalise that as a sense of, well, my grieving experience isn't isn't valid, um, it's inappropriate, I'm weird, I'm different. And so by doing that, it's you know, it's that sense of that lack of social support around, you know, being able to to grieve. A good comparison for what disenfranchised grief is like for pet loss is you think about how people experience, you know, the breakdown of an extramarital affair. So it's unsanctioned um, and unacceptable socially and they can't openly and publicly grieve it because it's, it's not considered normal. And so that's the same sort of dynamic and the same sort of um, situation that emerges from 
from pet loss often. You know, people don't feel open to talk about it. It's not like they can call their boss and say, hey, my dog just died, can I take a couple of days off? Or, you know, even I've got a sick dog, can I take a couple of days off? They're just not given the same weight, if you like, as children or people, even though the relationship may be on par or, you know, a closer relationship than what some people share with other people. Yeah, look, the... um Absolutely. It, the, my biggest concerns always is that someone will hear a comment and it'll shut them down and it'll um, remove or harm the ability to move through mm-hmm. and to help heal. So that comment often is, it's just a dog. Why don't you, why don't you just get a new one? Yeah, like the replacement. Yeah. Like the, uh, forget, forget about that journey. That didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Just get a new journey, or yeah, or... and you hear, you know, you hear it, you hear it all the time, and it just, it just makes me cringe, and it's so invalidating of people's grief process. You know, every, you know, every person grieves differently, and it's just a, you know, it's about time, and it's not up to anybody to, to give that advice. Just get another dog. Well, you know, no, that's up to the person, and if and when they choose to acquire another pet. Well, then that's that's their journey and that sense of, you know, I guess implying that the relationship that a person shared with their dog is irreplaceable and not really worth much if it can just be replaced is really destructive and just impedes the whole healing process around bereavement. I, I opened up, once I felt a bit more solid, I started opening up and doing a bit of writing and putting things out there and... Mm-hmm. What I've found, and I'm no hero, I'm, I just want to help continue this conversation around dog loss, loss grief, um, and stigmas is that if I went first and opened up, people found a safe place. And is that how do you think about that? About people finding a, a safe place or being somehow give, given the permission within their own minds that they can, I'm going to seek help. Yeah, absolutely. You know, social support has, you know, demonstrated time and time again to be really useful in the healing process. And um, the there is a danger to that, though. So if you do go and share, you know, the sense of um, loss that, that you feel and sadness and there could be regret and, you know, a whole bunch of other things showing up, anger, denial, um, you know, yeah, depression, helplessness, all of those things... Um, if you then go and share those really vulnerable emotions to someone who can't hold that and respond appropriately, that's when it can become really destructive to the whole healing process. So if you can find someone who you can be open with and can speak to about it, it's really helpful. Um, just by saying, "Look, I'm you know I'm struggling. This happened," um, but it's it's just about making sure you pick the right people. You must get a lot of satisfaction yourself out of um, both both professionally and personally of being able to help people in some way get through the the places in their life that are not ideal. 
and help them get through to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And just before you answer that, Remy's uh, sitting at the door. We'll we'll take some photos, and um, when when this uh, when this episode goes live, we'll put it up on uh, on Insta and Facebook. She's but playing guard dog. She's playing guard dog. <laughs> go go get that big bad kangaroo or someone breaking in, Remy. Oh, look at her. She's very vicious. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I do get a lot of personal and professional satisfaction from from helping people, and I do you know really encourage you know those who are struggling to seek help in any way in any way they can you know I'm I feel really privileged and grateful to do the job that I do because people allow me to enter into their private space that you know they they don't necessarily understand and these you know the private experiences that they that they have to then share with someone else and to sort of you know, enter and join with them on their on their journey through, you know, whatever sort of crisis comes up for them, you know, is is a, is really beautiful. And yeah, it's it's hard and it can be it can be challenging. But I I do feel yeah really lucky and privileged that people share what they what they do with me. Yeah, that's um yeah that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, just on that. On that note, in terms of seeking help as well, I think from a professional point of view and understanding um, psychologists need to be better at understanding the impact of how or the role pets play in people's lives because that is really significant. And then if people don't have friends and family to speak to, they go to a therapist. And so if a therapist doesn't know how to deal with that or how to understand that family system and how dogs in particular fit into that, it sort of just reinforces that sense of my experience is not valid. My grief is inappropriate. I don't know what's going on if they don't really get the sense of how people bond with animals. Um, you know, people then often turn to online sources, which can be a really helpful thing. But I think for, you know, for psychology as a profession, you know, given the way animals are now viewed in society compared to, say, 10 years ago, um, we really need to pay more attention to you know, the idiosyncrasies and the dynamic that changes as a result of animals entering families, couples, individuals. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. It's very, very deep. The, the conversations that I've had, I, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a professional, it's not my thing. I don't... I'm not intelligent like you, Talia. I can't sit down oh, and study. Oh, you do all right, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intelligent in different ways, but it's all a bit of a fraud. Um, where was I going? I feel like a fraud too. It's okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I? Where was I going with this? I, I better try and think about what I was going to say. That um, online sources. Online sources, and also what. What I've found myself personally is um, people being able to share their journey. Mm-hmm. To, I'm not a, a huge believer in all cliches. One of the ones I don't like is that, well, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's up there with, I know what you're going through is tough, John. Oh, I but know, I know just how you feel. I know just how you feel. Um, in dog loss, I understand how people feel, but I'm not. Grief is such an internal, it is an internal and invisible journey to the mm-hmm. outside looking in mm-hmm. and and really probably going off tangent a bit. So you can't 
prove it like if you're just standing outside it but then again prove love it's same it's invisible it's a, mm-hmm. it's in inside feeling and time and time again i speaking to people um just by chance and you know by them reaching out on social media or 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 whatever they said i've never told this to anyone mm-hmm. and it feels so good to get it off my chest and the way that and as i say i, I don't that's kind of where it, um, I'm limited. And then my role is to, um, you know, hit, hit them up with your details and other professionals' mm-hmm. details that can really help further from that. And I attribute, um, or the way that I explain it is that if you keep putting air in a balloon, eventually it's going to pop. So mm-hmm. whatever, if you can release just a little bit of that, a little bit of, at a time, a little bit of the time, um, then you're on your way to... to on the healing process. And these are some words I wrote about my own journey. And there we go. That's the first time I've spoken about it, actually, like definitely on radio. Oh, well, I feel very, again, privileged to have you share that with me. <laughs> so it's so such a deep, um, it's such a deep thing. And for, for me, grief is so incredibly unique. Would would you say that? Absolutely, it's very it's a very personal experience, and um, you know while there's while there's some kind of schools of thought, I guess you know some of the Kubler Ross stages of grief stuff around you know anger denial, you know moving through to acceptance. Um, while people do experience some of that, it is a very unique process, and what always surprises me is, like you were saying, in terms of people not feeling willing to share their experience about grief around um, the loss of their dogs is because there's so much shame associated to it. And that's really what can prevent people opening up about it. And by asking the question and just inquiring in a way that's gentle is, you know, like you said, it just allows people to feel that empathy from another person. And I always say to clients, look, it's it's valid because you're experiencing it. And, and that just really gives, you know, allows them to give themselves permission to feel whatever it is they need to feel to work through it because then if that's not sort of processed and released, you know, people can engage in really unhelpful behaviours that also block that healing process. Drinking, gambling, sex, working too much, drugs, all of that um, because they just they feel that they, their experience or they are essentially, you know, shame in general, men have a much harder time expressing that and, you know, feeling able to express that. Whereas, you know, it's okay for women to be sad, you know, air quotes, um, but it's not okay for men to be sad. And so by, you know, having people like you who are willing you know, to really stand up for what they believe in as a result of their own experiences and joining with others to to get their perspective as well and to really sort of open this whole space up so it becomes okay to talk about it is is really important. And, you know, it's men struggle like women. They form really close bonds with with animals, dogs in, in particular. Um, you know, and that the strength of that human-animal bond, yeah, okay, it depends on on certain things and various um, characteristics. But when it's there, it's there and it's strong. And, you know, the loss, you know, the loss of that 
you know, you th- you think about that old saying, um, the you know the old woman, the old crazy woman with the you know with all the cats, you know, they just sense that if people are really close to their animals, yeah. that there must be something wrong with them because they can't form meaningful human connections. So they, you know, sort of just redirect that towards animals. But the research in no way sort of indicates that that to be true anecdotally personally um you know scientifically it's that's not the case and i think what that shows is that that movement and the shift in in time over the years which i think has been you know really really good because we've had bonds with animals for centuries but now you know you think about all the doggy daycares and um you know how much we spend on you know premium products for our for our pets, they're like you know they're in they're the fabric of family, and it doesn't make people bizarre or socially awkward to have a bond with an animal anymore. But I think it, I think there's still that sense of I'm going to end up alone with all these cats eating my face, <laughs> <laughs> and then that sort of association just feeds through for some people in other areas, and maybe until they get an animal or they get a dog and they get to share in that sort of you know, that sort of experience to people's attitudes and beliefs around that shift. But I, I don't know the data on that. So, Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's interesting. And I think that it will change. And it, it comes down to, and even the essence of, the, of this podcast channel is, um, you know, um, crushing stigma, mm-hmm. uh, one conversation at a time. And I think back, sort of really deviating back to my childhood and, and moving away from... from from dogs and thinking about depression and mental health mm-hmm. is something that was never spoken about. I mean, not in the farming farming community. No, absolutely not. Oh boy, if you had something wrong upstairs, then you know, a lot oh, of people just just go out the back with a shotgun, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard I've heard horror stories even well before my dad's time. So my grandfather, nineteen twenty, you know, guys just going out in the bush and just you know, yeah. effectively ending it. And um. And but as the years have gone on, it's slowly raising to the surface that it's now acceptable. If you have something, um, something going on, I've, I've suffered from depression a couple of times in um, in my life, and you know, just getting help was it was the best thing and short circuited, mm-hmm. which could have been you know a rough, really rough journey. Um, and I see the same thing. The more conversations you can have about. Everything in life, you know, if it's sure. positive and sharing and letting air out of the balloon, then, you know. Mm-hmm. And but it's, it's just about, um, you know, the the mental the movement in mental health, you know, has been has been really positive, and society can shift attitudes if more people talk about it, <clears throat> more people are willing to have the difficult conversations, or, you know, more people are just willing to take on a different perspective. For once, even though you may not sort of know what that experience is like for someone because you never really know but if you're just curious and ask questions and empathic and try to get an understanding of what their world is like it makes a big difference and it really you know really shows the other person that that you you care and you can talk about it and that's really what kind of is the glue that keeps us all together I think look um look I agree I agree. And finding that friend or therapist or um, even your local doctor. Or even your dog. Even your dog. <laughs> <laughs> As a dog therapist. 
<laughs> oh, hell yeah. Remy's a, Remy's a therapy dog at work. Yeah, she let's deviate. So how, how did Remy come into your life? So um, when I moved out and bought my house, I wanted a dog, obviously. I'd always grown up with dogs. So, yeah, I sort of, you know, did some research and thought that a Cavuda would be a good fit for me. Um, and she she is. She's lovely. So um, just given her temperament and what, you know, her size and she doesn't shed hair, when I started my business, I was – you know, to be honest, one of the main reasons I started my business was so I could bring her to work. Um, <laughs> so, so then, yeah, then she just used to come, come to work with me every now and then, and now she's there every day. So clients love it; they take selfies with her, and um, you know, sometimes clients' children come in just to play with her, or partners come in just to like sit there. And she has the best, one of the best lives of any dogs I know. <laughs> she's um. Your listeners won't be able to see this, but she's just laying by the door. She was guarding the robbers from coming in about 15 minutes ago. Now she's happy they're gone. <laughs> yep, she's happy they're go- she's gone and she's just dreaming of um, rab- chasing rabbits in the paddock or yeah, something like and, that. And see, this is what she'll do all day at, at work. So she'll greet clients or she'll come into sessions sometimes or she'll stay out there. Like um, it's, just, it's, it's just really nice to have her around at work as well from my point of view and from the client's point of view, especially if clients get distressed. Um, they'll often be like, oh, can Remy come in? And then she'll just sit on their lap and they'll just like pat her. And she loves it and they love it. And oh. It's such a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful thing to witness. Um, and I hope you can join me for another episode or two because I think um, there's a lot of other stuff we haven't spoken about today that I'm sure everyone out there would love to love to hear. So. Yeah, I'd love to. And if you'd love to have us back, um, yeah, I'd be more than happy to do that. So I hope you found it helpful. I definitely have. Thanks so much for coming in, Talia. And um, I'll see you in a few weeks when you come back to pick up Remy. Okay. See you, John. <laughs> All Bye. right. See you, guys.